beautiful. Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Religion. I don't like that word in particular. You say it and it calls to mind rules and regulations. Religion. Well, what's your book that your rules are in? Religion. What are the list and the codification of your rules? Religion. What do you do that makes your life different from mine, from a Christian, from another tradition? Religion. I'm right and you're wrong. Religion. Politics. Religion. Persecution. The word religion has so much baggage to it. You kind of grind it over in your soul and in your heart a little bit and wonder where it kind of went so so wrong. The cultural peace, religion equates to rules. It's what you do. It's how you do it. It's not necessarily who you are, which leads us immediately into Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. Now, Mark's gospel, you're going to hear a lot of this summer. And it's fun because everything's short. Where John needs maybe 30 verses to get through thing, Mark can do it in five. Where Luke needs a whole chapter to talk about Jesus being born, Luke doesn't even, Jesus shows up, you know? Uh, John's got to talk about it and talk about signs and this and that. Luke says, and immediately they came into the region. And then you get four verses and you're on to the next thing. And if you don't breathe normally while you're reading John, you're going to pass out from reading so fast because John is, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then we went, and then we went, and immediately we went, and then we showed up, and then we went, and then you're like, oh, yeah. Okay. But John is driving with powerful themes. You see, John looks at the story of Jesus Christ through the eyes of Peter. Almost like Peter was the mentor and John was the one who followed after him. So we, we get the, 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 the flavor of Jesus through the eyes of Peter and Mark. And the, and the themes are powerful. The theme of the cross. That before Jesus is that cross. And until he's done, he's going to be on that cross. He's got to bear that cross. He's got to make sense of that cross. He's got to conquer that cross. The cross is at the forefront of Mark's gospel as his discipleship. Following Jesus. It's not just about a static relationship where I know this and I pass the quiz and I pass the test. It's about following Jesus day in and day out in our lives. Also the identification of what it means as a disciple to follow Jesus. I'm not just following some dead rabbi. I I belong to Jesus. So I'm following him. Then there's that messianic secret where Jesus does this huge thing. And he says, now don't tell him. Keep it quiet. Don't tell anybody. And you, and you know how people are. We are people, right? Yeah, most of us. And, oh, come on. That was too quick. I lost that much weight that my, you know. But, but that Jesus feeds all these people. And then he says, don't tell anybody. And you're like, yeah. We just had 5,000 people fed. And I'm not supposed to say anything. Are you nuts? But that messianic secret. And then the powerful thing of Jesus as the Son of God comes at the very end of Mark's gospel. The messianic secret and the Son of God show up in Mark 15, 39, together for the first time. And you can read the gospel of Mark throughout this week 
But here's the money verse of the whole gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 15, verse 39. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard this cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. The death and resurrection of Jesus reset everything. As a matter of fact, all time is reset with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We talked about King David's dynasty and that being B.C., which is before Christ. You want the next one? We talked about the book of Acts going from about 50 A.D. into maybe 150 A.D. And A.D. stands for Anno Domini. Boy, I got some Latin scholars here. That's pretty solid, right? The year of our Lord. The resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God, reset time. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Let's come back to Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 22 and 23. Jesus' disciples are walking, coming into another town. They're they're, they're hungry, so they're moving uh, through a field. They're picking some kernels of wheat, kind of a normal practice, except on a Sunday. Sunday is reserved for the third commandment for worship. And so there were all sorts of rules that went with that. And as the disciples came into town, they broke the law. And the other rabbis who would love to discredit Jesus came frothing out of the temple or the synagogue saying, your disciples are bad people. They have broken the laws relating to reaping, winnowing, threshing, and prepping for lunch. It's the Sabbath. You can't do that stuff. What do you mean? We can't have lunch? Well, not that bad, but you better make it on Saturday night. And if you're going to have a sandwich, you better make sure you cut the tomato on Saturday and put the lettuce on Saturday. And if you're going to have a double-double, you're in real trouble because there's nothing going on on Sundays. And that's why you can't have a chicken sandwich on Sundays from Chick-fil-A. There's a lot going on here. In these four pieces, they broke dozens and dozens of laws. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa. Do you remember what your guy, King David, did when Abiathar was the high priest? And he he came into the temple and ate the showbread that was only, the consecrated bread that was only for the priest to eat? Are you kidding me? My guys are picking a few kernels here because they're hungry. We've come a long ways. David went in with soldiers to eat something that was sacred. You've got to be kidding me. And then Jesus comes to this. Let's read this together. Mark 2, 27. Please join me. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Oh, man. You remember this? You have to go to church. Remember that? How many people just had one pair of church pants growing up, and you didn't wear those church pants on any other day but Sunday? Yeah? Remember? You had a church dress. You you wore a dress to church because that's what you did. You wear a coat and tie to church because that's what you had to do. I remember in eighth grade in confirmation, I got my first light slacks, blue blazer, white shirt with a yellow tie. 1978, March 15th. I thought I hung the moon. And black. uh, I had no, actually, I had kind of an ivory kind of hush puppy loafer thing, which didn't go so good with the white pants, but it was the 70s. Give me a break. But this you got to go to church, right? you got to go to church. It's what religious people do. Yeah. Sabbath was not made for 
The Sabbath was not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. This represents a little bit of the rules. You have to dress the way you have to dress and wear your show shoes on Sunday. And you can't wear your shoes into the National Forest to play with them as boots when you're playing army after church because you get in trouble for that. And when you come to church, you have to stand up and sit down at the right time. You have to be quiet. You can't tease your sister. You have to sing the approved hymns from the approved hymnal. You have to know when the ebbs and flows of the service are. And you can't ever change how you do it. Those are the rules. You know, our congregation had a, dealt with a lot of that in the late 80s and early 90s. We dealt with a lot of that stuff. If we would have sung a praise song before the, the sermon, if I were to preach from the front 30 years ago, I would have card after card after card that said, Pastor Tim, you are officially a heretic, and we're going to burn you at the stake. There are people who said, it's not church if you don't preach from the pulpit. It's not church if the choir sings a more flamboyant southern hymn. It's not the right thing to do to do thus and such and play with this. We have our religion. We have our way of doing things. St. John's went through that and came through it in a marvelous way. Part of that was the 630 service we had on Sunday night that over 25 years ago I was called to lead. One of the pictures I had as I was putting this sermon together last Tuesday was, was the, the boom that came out between Justin and Jim, Jim Beal and Justin Stewart. There was a boom that we built for the choir. We built it. Emily was a part of that. And I remember that distinctly. We had a one-by-one -one choir of high school students. And they had a concert. We wanted to film the concert. And so the kids, the high school kids, built a boom that came out to where Alan and Laurelin are. And they waved it all across the worshipers. <laughs> OSHA, insurance, liability, exposure, all that stuff. Right now, I'm senior pastor. It's a crazy-eyed youth pastor. Man, we could get more kids from Orange High over here if we tape it and bring it. And the, and, and the thing bowed as it came down. And I remember walking in and going, oh, my gosh, that's pretty cool. But we wrestled with this as a church. We thought this stuff through carefully. And the law that we came back to was not the law and rules of religious people, but the law of love and reaching people and loving people in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, don't get any wild ideas that we're going to put a boom up there because, yeah, we're just not. But we've got better cameras in here than that. But... But the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? We need what goes on on that Sabbath day. Because by the time the Pharisees had gotten hold of it, it had basically become all sorts of religious gobbledygook. And now we have some of that, but it's not necessarily Pharisaism or legalism. We, we deal with the religion of the now. I got to do it now. I got to get it now. I got to have it now. My time is valuable because it's mine. I got to take care of it now. I got to do this today now. Again. I have to have my convenience. I have to have my stuff. I got to have it all together. I got to have it now. And if I don't know it now, if I don't do this now. And the mission statement for the church of the now, the religion of the now is we follow our own way, gladly replacing the important with the urgent. Replacing the important with the urgent. And our whole Western culture is afflicted with that. 
Think of all the things you gotta do and how quickly you gotta get them done. I went to a movie this Friday. I found myself speeding down the five freeway to the spectrum to get to a movie so I could sit and relax. That's the religion of the now. Now here's a little illustration of what the religion of the now is all about. As of Tuesday of this week, America's credit card balance is $542 billion, which translates into each individual American owing an average of $4,443, each household owing an average of $8,683, and what's the over-under on how much savings your average American has? Five grand, 10 grand, 30 grand? $5,200. Because I had to have it now. I had to buy it now. I could put it on my credit card today and I'll worry about paying for it tomorrow. Marvelous article in the Wall Street Journal about um, how Americans are ill-equipped for retirement because of this. But we made it through the now, Pastor. We're good. Everyone's fat, happy, and sassy. Everything's good because we took care of it now. But living for the now and the religion of the now leaves us broke empty, and lives that are filled with complete meaninglessness. But it's a religion that seems to be gaining steam in 21st century America, that along with the religion of the self. I'm going to do what I want to do because I have to do it. The religion of the self, perhaps it started with the digital revolution where we could kind of deselect friends, where we could choose our own music, where you could flip a digital switch and do this, that, and, and the other thing. I remember when you used to buy an album. Remember vinyl albums? You used to buy that album. And I remember the first album I bought was Boston's More Than a Feeling. It just like nod at me if you remember that album. So good. Is that it, really? So when you buy an album, you bought the whole album. Boston had two bad songs on that album, but you had to listen to all eight songs, four on each side. Now, if I want to listen to more than the feeling, I go to Spotify or to the iTunes store. I put that on my phone along with 200 other songs I want to listen to, and I don't have to listen to all the stuff I don't want to listen to. McDonald's, which through the 70s and 80s prided themselves on all the burgers being the same wherever you ate, decided to bend the religion of self so now there are kiosks being put into every McDonald's in the nation so that you can choose and have your sandwich exactly the way you want it. Every person selling things in the world makes sure that you can have it the way you want it because if you don't get it your way, your business will perish. So the religion of self has core values. Here's a couple of them. My sense of convenience this isn't convenient for me, then forget it. I'm done. I'm out of here. It's got to be easy or it's useless. My attitudes are sacred. What I believe, what I hold to be true, what I'm all about, don't mess with me on that. Don't challenge me on that because my attitude and the way I choose to live my life and organize myself, that's sacred to me. And I'm not willing to be challenged on that. My opinion. In a postmodern time, my opinions become my truth, my facts. And so how dare you bring your opinion to bear because it disagrees with mine. Because I am my own self, a whole person, perfect and wonderful in every way. 
don't mess with what I believe to be true about religion, politics, economics, whatever. And my autonomy, my decision, my choice. My choice, I did it. Are you willing to live with the consequences of your choice? No. But I'm willing to take that choice and, and, and impose the, the, the problems with that choice onto you. Gee, thanks. I really appreciate how autonomous you are in that I have to pick up the scraps of your life from the choice that you made. My, my, my children are to be exalted and given absolutely everything in the whole world, which is where the religion of the now and the religion of the self intersect. None of them brings hope. Neither of them bring hope. Neither of them bring any transcendency. Neither of them bring anything from anything other than the, than the heart of man. <coughs> but those religions are powerful in the United States of America and in the context of Orange County as well. But the Lord wanted his people to be different. People of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They made mud bricks. What day does a slave get off as a vacation day? Does a slave get Memorial Day or Labor Day or Christmas Eve off? And the answer is no, you're a slave. Your identity is in your work, in your work alone. And so as a slave in Egypt, there weren't days off. If you burned out and you fell down and you died, they scraped you out and put somebody else in there. If you couldn't make your quota of mud bricks with straw or without straw, it didn't matter. Your identity was found in being a slave. And so the Lord broke that pattern of slavery and work. And he said, here's what my people are going to look like. And he doesn't say, on the seventh day, you will watch football and entertain yourself. He doesn't say on the seventh day is, is, is the day where you just kind of put your feet up and go to the desert and hang out. Rather, he says this, and let's read this together. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Completely transformed the way the rabbis of the day who came out to the field looking to protect their religion. God has built Sabbath rhythms into his creation, into you and me. And we are not set up or wired to be slaves of anyone or anything or any ideology, even including the religion of now and self. As a matter of fact, the slavery to the now and the slavery to the self is only broken by God's gift of Sabbath. I'm tired. I'm burned out. I'm worn out. I'm broke. My relationships are a mess. When is the last time you set aside your Sabbath day to worship the Lord? Well, we're a little busy for that. God breaks that cycle of slavery for his people, leading them out of Egypt. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He breaks the slavery to calendars and commitments. God's people don't have to go to church and dress in the niceness with the religiosity of the age. God's people worship because it identifies and marks them as the people of God. It drags us out of the slavery of the now and allows us to look back at Deuteronomy chapter 5. To look back and say, I follow a Lord who has created all things 
A God who loves me not just today and now, but a God who has been with his people for generation after generation after generation. And that produces a marvelous sense of faith and a rock-solid sense that I'm tied to something much bigger than myself. I'm tied to God through faith in Christ. And worship delivers a sense of future orientation. There's a measure of hope in what we do. There's a measure of hope in who we are. For the promises of God are not over and done with in Jesus Christ. They find fulfillment in that, but they push onward into the future. And it's amazing the chaos that now and self brings into faith and life. And how hope calms the spirit, calms the soul. And to be here in a holy place like this, in the body of Christ with the people of God, we're reminded that there's a transcendency in something bigger than just me. There's a whole future out there. A future in which our Lord Jesus walks with us. So I won't be afraid when I'm tired and worn out and I'm feeling that oppressive yoke of today and deadlines and all of those things. It's in our worship that we are reminded that we are tied to something bigger and grander than self. And that the God of all eternity has called us to be his children. And our identity is found in that and not our work and not our job and not our money and not all the stuff we got to do. First and foremost, God is our God. And we are his people. And for those who are lonely, because me and now is about me. People are lonely and disconnected. Get to baptize beautiful Moses, this beautiful sister Raymond, his grandma's arms right now. Little baby screamed at 8 o'clock church. I'd rather listen to that screaming for 20 minutes than me preach for 25 this morning. There's older people, younger people, middle-aged people. Most of us are middle-aged. If you're older than me and younger than you're middle-aged, it all works out. We're all going to live to be 150. It'll work great. There's babies. There's people who are wealthy. There's people who have needs. There's people who are whole people but struggling. There's single people, married people, divorced people, strong people, people, broken people, people putting their lives back together, all finding commonality in the love of the Lord Jesus and giving way to the chaos of life in the 21st century to a few moments of being with God and community here and now. One of my favorite books of all time, top 10 for sure, is written by Pastor Eugene Peterson. And it's a book entitled Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. And really up until about three years ago, I thought you had to go to church because you got to go to church. If you don't go to church, then my job as a pastor is to make you feel so uncomfortable about not going to church that you think you're going to die and you'll never come back to church again. See how that works? And I picked up this book, and as I got through that section of worship, I began to well up and realize that some of my exhaustion and tired was about being religious and not following Jesus. It's a beautiful quote. Worship is the primary way in which the people of God stay in the rhythm of their creation, find their place in creation, who they are, where they have come from, internalize the creation cadence, cadences of God who made heaven and earth, 
remember and observe this Sabbath day. God who said, let there be light, who created male and female, who said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, who saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good, who rested and sanctified the seventh day. Remember and observe this Sabbath day. Take this into your lives. Get creation into your nervous system. Receive the great creation verbs into your soul. Make friends with the world sky and sea, fish and bird, cattle and plants, male and female. If you came to worship today struggling in your life, what a marvelous opportunity you've had to be pulled out of the urgent into the important, to be moved from the self to the body of Christ, and out of the chaos of life to be drawn into an identity that lasts into eternity that gives meaning to the other six days. Amen.